If you will, please stand with me at the reading of God's Word, covering all of Ecclesiastes chapter 8 this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 1. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way, for there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before Him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. And I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. Then I saw the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. You may be seated. Ecclesiastes has made this point that life under the sun is like a merry-go-round in the desert. Just spinning and repeating And frustrating. Here we go again. Yep, I've seen that rock before. I didn't like that rock when I saw it first. I don't like it now. That is what life is like in this world. And when we saw this before in 
Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Solomon told us to Eeyore. You'll remember that? He told us when you experience the repeating frustrations of this life again and again, you should E-O-R, enjoy, obey, and regard God. And so here we are again. In Ecclesiastes chapter 8, he picks up again the idea that in this life, our frustrations will keep on repeating. And so he repeats his counsel, E-O-R, but this time in a different order. You see, whenever we keep coming to these frustrations again and again, the old lesson is still the one we need. The, those three priorities are still what we need to focus on. And so what we have in Ecclesiastes 8 is the preacher observing three frustrations. Three frustrations that we are going to face. And we better face them differently than those who live under the sun, who live as if there is no one above the sun. The preacher is calling the people of God to do the opposite of what any one of us would choose to do if we're not thinking about God as we face these three frustrations. So he points to God and what his activity is in the midst of those frustrating circumstances. And he says, because of that, this is what you should do. The wise counter crookedness by considering God. That is my summary of Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and how it all comes to us. The wise will counter the crooked experiences of this world, if we will consider God in those moments. So we have three opportunities in verses 1 through 9, point number 1. Verses 1 through 9, we should discern among dictators. We should have discernment when we face dictators as we will in this life. Look in verse 1. The preacher is motivating us to be wise by, by reminding us there is no one else like the wise. Why won't you just consider what it means to be foolish? What it means to be the opposite of this, to live like God doesn't exist. The preacher is inviting us. Consider how good it is to be wise. So imitate them. Conform your life to reality, not to ignoring reality and God, but navigate every difficulty with faith. And then he says in verse 1, when the wise use their wisdom, notice what good thing ends up happening. They counter. Or another way to put it is they can turn, they can change not their sad circumstances necessarily. They, their sad circumstances may stay the same, but their experience of those circumstances can change. Their face can change by their wisdom. Don't you want to be wise? And so he lays out these sad circumstances of life in this world. And the first one, look down in verse 9. This is the summary of this first sad circumstance that if you're not considering God when you face these things, you will be a fool. But if you will consider God 
when, verse 9, a leader uses the power God has given to hurt the people under their leadership. When you experience that in this life, if you will only consider God, your face can change. Here's what we should do. Back in verse 2. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. In other words, obey the government for God. For God's sake. You obey the government because of God. When you are under the power of people who may use their power to hurt you, I say, keep the command of the king because of God. Because of God's oath to him. This could be a reference. This is Solomon, the king of Israel. It could be the the promise, the oath that God made to Solomon's father, David. Remember, he said, there will be someone on David's throne forever and ever. God is committed to the king of Israel in a unique way. So if you're in the people of Israel, you because of God's oath to your king, you better obey him. But Romans 13 says even outside of Israel, even in Rome, you need to honor the king. First Peter 2, honor the king. God wants you to honor the king. He put him there. But this phrase could also mean not God's oath to the king, but your oath to God before the king. It could be translated that way. In other words, you need to remember that God has established your king and you have pledged allegiance to the leader that God has installed over you. But you need to understand This is a frustrating circumstance you will face in this life. People will rise up in power who will use it to hurt people. And Solomon is saying, when you find yourself in that situation, your response to your authority, whenever they decide differently than you would decide, that is spiritually significant. It is spiritually revealing. What I mean is, it will reveal whether you trust God or not. It will reveal what kind of relationship you have with God. It will reveal whether you believe Proverbs 21, which says the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. And it's the Lord who is turning his heart. It's the Lord that's directing his decisions. Do we live like that? Consider the king for us. Consider the president of the United States. So there are others who have grand authority in our lives, the Supreme Court of the United States, our own governor. But then extend this to all authorities. Consider your parents, your husband, your employer, even teachers, coaches, pastors. Consider Proverbs 21, that they are doing this and making these decisions because God has chosen, 
has directed this to happen in your life. And what Solomon is saying is he's doing this so that we might grow in trusting God. And we show our trust in God in those situations when we give sincere, genuine honor to the leader. So that in Colossians, Paul can even say to slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, fearing the Lord. Because when you do this, you are serving Christ. Now, let me get to an exception, and some of you have gotten there too early. There's no exception in Ecclesiastes 8. Some of you all get to exceptions way too early. So that basically when God commands us to obey Caesar, honor Caesar, you just immediately say, well, never. But there is an exception. There is no authority on earth that can validly call us to disobey the ultimate authority. And so in, in, there are situations where an authority of the state would call citizens to disobey God, like require them to disobey God, and they do not have the authority to do that. What that means is when we disobey Caesar, we know that he has a sword. And that may mean if we disobey the rulers of this land, it may mean prison for us. It may mean persecution. But even facing prison and even facing persecution, you better not obey them. We cannot approve what God forbids. And, and obviously today, something like this is, is occurring in California, right? I mean, John MacArthur, at least this is the stand that he is making today. As he's been commanded not to gather with the saints of his church. And he is based on this exception. He is saying, no, Lord, the Lord Jesus wants us to gather, and so we must. Solomon is saying, when you find yourself, even in the hands of dictators, those who are kings who will use their power for your hurt, you need to make, have discernment. You can't just do whatever you want. So verse 3, he says, honor if you honor him, uh, you will not be hasty. Don't, don't, don't just rush out of his presence. In other words, there's some decorum that, that leaders deserve. And if they don't feel honored by you, you are not honoring them before God. He's even saying, make sure you honor those things. Verses 3 and 4, he says, if you're going to do this, no, understand that honor is not unruly. Don't, don't take a stand in an evil cause. If you join the rebellion, what he's saying is he does whatever he pleases, meaning just expect his punishment. And then the, the, the preacher reinforces the command to obey the king. And he says you need to use discernment in verse 5, that if you obey the king, you won't experience evil. This is a truism, isn't it? that the cops typically leave people alone if they're not breaking the law. It's kind of what he's saying. If you will obey the laws, you're not going to experience evil. 
But secondly, he says in verses 5 and 6, you need to know when and you need to know the way. It's going to take wisdom. You're going to find yourself in situations under authorities when you're going to have to... You're going to have to discern. You're going to need the help of God to know how to bring things, when to bring things to the authority, because God wants them to be honored. You've got to be careful when and how you bring this this issue up to them. And then thirdly, in verse 8, he says, you should obey the king, knowing there's no one who's going to escape death. No one has that power, it says in verse 8. No one has the power to retain the spirit. That is not give up the ghost. That's what that means. You can't prevent yourself from dying. And that also applies to the king. That applies to everyone. Except for God. So what he's saying is, what, what is it that should, you're not going to, whatever you do, no matter how wise you are, no matter how discerning you are, You're not going to be able to extend your life forever. You're going to die. Everyone's going to die. That king, if he's a tyrant, he's going to die. They've all died. So what is it should dominate our thoughts whenever we're under hurtful authority? It should be thinking about the one who won't die and trying to please him. We, we just need to get used to this idea of being under the power of others, don't we? I mean, uh, there's not a moment you have ever lived where this wasn't immediately true of you. Annie Rogers was born this week, little baby Annie. And, and, and baby Annie, from the moment she was born, she was under authority. She was under leadership. She needed mommy and daddy to carry her and to feed her. All of us have experienced what it means to be under, verse 9, those who have power over us. Even those who have really godly parents. Even those who have a really godly husband or godly pastors. All of them still know what it means for those in power over us to hurt us. Whenever we read a passage of Scripture, one question we should ask is, how does Jesus relate to what I'm reading? How does Jesus relate to this idea of being under the authority of people who use their power for our hurt? This is one of the characteristics of living in a crooked world where things are backwards and not as they should be. Leadership Instead of being sacrificial and serving those under leadership, leadership is so often conceited. It is corrupt. It is abusive. And if you ever got that post, you would be the same way as well. But when God the Son, the creator of heaven and earth, the master of the universe, all authority, all power, Whenever he took on flesh to be a human king, we have before us an authority unlike any other. There is one who doesn't lord over, 
who doesn't use us, who doesn't mistreat us, but wholly serves our good. And this one, who is God, can say to the governor of Rome, the governor of the superpower of the world, he can say to him, you have no power over me except the power that I allow you to have. You can't kill me unless I will it. He is the only exception to verse 8 that says there is no one who has the power to retain the spirit, no power over the day of death. He had it. And he willingly chose to die so that he could stand in the place of sinners, so that he could do good to those who did not do him good. And then he exercised power over the day of death. He actually raised himself from the grave. So that now God has highly exalted him, even higher than he was. He's above every ruler and every authority, guaranteeing that there will never be a transfer of power, never be a successor to his throne. This is our king. And you can have that king. And you can follow that king. And we can trust that king, no matter what earthly king we're under. Everyone is going to bow. Every single person is going to bow to him. And we might as well do it right now. And when we do, understand this. We will never regret trusting him. We will never regret obeying him. His commands will never hurt us. The wise counter crookedness by considering God, and in this case, considering Christ. But secondly, here's another frustrating circumstance in life where we need to consider God. Verses 10 through 13. If we consider God, we will fear amidst phonies. Fear amidst phonies. Look in verse 10 how he gives another observation of crookedness. And I saw the wicked were buried. Maybe you're not picking up on the fact that burial is an honor. I mean, you experience this. When you go to funerals, um, it's a picture of, of people who loved the person who passed away and they're, all they're talking about is how great they were. Burials, funerals are places of honor. And he says, I have seen in this kind of world the holy hypocrite get honored. He's a holy hypocrite. What's what's wrong with the wicked being buried like this? It's because all the eulogies at their funeral are lies. They're talking about how holy this person was. He went into the holy place. He went to, to church. He came out of church. He didn't fall down dead in, the, in, in front of God. He went in. He went out. He was holy, but he's a hypocrite. He's wicked. Hypocrite means two judgments. He, he judged that this was right to do in this case, and this was right to do in another case. He's professing God with his lips, but he's denying God with his life. And we live in this kind of world. Graham, Texas is like Jerusalem. In this way, this is a place where it is good to be seen doing such things, holy things. It's good to be seen going to church. 
It's really good to post those gifts with Bible verses. It's really good. Everyone's want to sprinkle in some talk about God. The psalmist says religious activity is vanity. It is absolutely useless. It is absolutely meaningless if it is phony. If you're pretending, if you're just acting for people to see you do such things, jumping around, saying these, you know, plastic statements that you don't even believe when you're singing them or saying them. The holy hypocrite can really confuse people. When you see the holy hypocrite, you might be confused if you don't consider God. You might be confused. I can act this way and things be okay. I can get the proper burial. They'll still honor me in death. It's okay to do this. Verses 11 through 13 says, deferred adjudication may degrade the soul. Deferred adjudication may degrade the soul. Chapter 8, verse 11. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, this is why the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. As a teenager, I... I kind of remember having this idea when I discovered deferred adjudication. I love me some deferred adjudication. So if I ever had opportunity to get a ticket or to go to a courthouse or whatever, I like to ask the question, is deferred adjudication available to me? I like the idea of, yeah, I'll fess up to some of this responsibility so long as you don't punish me. This is what he's saying. Verse 11 Sinful hearts corrupt every mercy. Every mercy from God is corrupted in the hearts of sinners such that it's not received as mercy. It's not executed speedily whenever someone commits some heinous crime. There's due process. We need to get lawyers, representation. We need to find the evidence. We need to file motions. We need to gather a jury. We need to look at the precedents. We need to establish a defense. All those things are good so that we're not, well, seeing one clip on Twitter and executing justice speedily and then not being justice at all. And so we go through the motions and those motions take time and those motions are good and dangerous in the hearts of a sinner. Listen, believe God. Don't be a fool. This is what he says. Consider what happens after a crime is committed or a sin is committed and punishment doesn't fall immediately. Consider what happens in that time. And whatever he's talking about here with earthly judgments, they're just shadows of the eternal. One of the things we're praying for, I hope you're praying for it. One of the things we're praying for 
is not just God bless me and my life and the people I care about. It's not just God bless this church. It is God give us an awakening. Give us a revival. Give us something where your spirit is poured out and sinners are called to, to trust the one who is all good so that they stop just denying the one who is worthy of glory. That first great awakening happened when preachers like Jonathan Edwards were preaching sermons that were titled things like sinners in the hands of an angry God. That's the, if you go to their revival 2020, well, who's speaking tonight? Jonathan Edwards. What's it? What's the title of his sermon? Sinners in the hands of an angry God. And he stands up there and he says, the bow of God's wrath is bent and the arrow is made ready on the string and justice bends the arrow at your heart. And strains the bow so that it's getting really tight. So it's going to go really fast and do its job. And it is nothing but the mere pleasure of God and that of an angry God. A God who's angry at you. It is nothing but the mere pleasure of God. A God who's angry at you without any promise or obligation at all to you. That keeps the arrow one moment from being made drunk with your blood. That's how revival happens, is when people understand. Don't go on sinning. One more moment. He is ready to send you to hell right now. Because it's when it's the the delay that the sinful heart, even though the delay is merciful, that the sinful heart says, I'm going to be set on evil fully. I'm going to be fully committed to evil because evil is never punished. This is why parents don't count to three. Don't do it. Don't say that's one. And I'm going to be serious when I get to three. And parents who do that often aren't serious when they get to three. Don't count to three. And don't not follow through with discipline. I can say that as someone who struggles with this. I'm, I mean, my wife prays this every single day. I, I pray this less than her, but I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about make us diligent. Make us consistent with discipline. Why? Because we don't want to ch- uh, train our children who are watching us. We don't want to train them to believe that hell is not coming. And when you count to three, you're telling them hell's never going to come. This is why, church, God is being kind whenever he commands us. If you love that brother or sister who has given themselves to sin, you've got to correct them. You've got to say something. He is being kind because it's hateful to delay. It's hateful to delay discipline because of what's going on in their heart, what it tells their heart. Don't you know what might happen if we don't correct them, if we just ignore it, if we just let it go, I've got my own sins. They will descend the dimensions of depravity. They will become increasingly hard to the truth such that they drift to a point and they're not coming back. The preacher says, you want to know why the heart's 
what is at the center of humanity, is fully committed, fully set on doing evil. It's because of all the examples in their life where they should be punished, but they are not punished. And it tells them something. And he says this is true, but look, verse 12 is also true. Even if someone does evil a hundred times and is not punished for it, and it seems like he's just prolonging his life, this is what I know. It will be well with those who fear God. And this is what I know, verse 13, it will not be well. They're not actually prolonging their life. It will not be well with anyone who does not fear God. So he says, look, I know what kind of world we're in. It's the kind of world where the wicked are honored. Where hypocrites who are only acting like they love God, but they're truly wicked. When they pretend to be holy, but they don't take God too seriously. I know that's the kind of world we're in, and that may tempt you to be a certain way. But death is coming. And only those who fear God can expect anything good after that certain death. It grieves me. I have heard people say, I am committed to a sin. And I'm not very serious to go away from it, even though the Bible says that people who commit this sin will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. I'm committed to it because other Christians do it. And other Christians have told me I won't be punished for it. It grieves me when people have hope while being hypocrites. If you see that happen, when you see that happen, you're going to be encouraged to become a phony. I'll just give this portion to the Lord. I'll still go to church and I can fill my nights with lust and immorality in the workplace and cheating, stealing, and hating God. I've heard a lot lately that the secret to our physical health is the gut, right? It's the gut. So one of the most important things if you want to be healthy is take probiotics and you need to be concerned about these things. I was devastated recently uh, to hear that I've got a certain kind of gut where LaCroix is not welcome. We can talk more about that later. It was a sad day for me. I was really sad, but I, I understand that the key to having uh, good health is, is in the gut, whatever, That's the secret to wellness. And he says here in verses 12 and 13, there is a secret to eternal wellness. And it is not hypocrisy. It is fearing God. I love the way he puts it, fearing before God. It it, it means bringing God into absolutely everything. It is 
Him being before you, living before Him in His presence. He's in your presence, living like the Almighty God, the all-pure God is right there and watching everything. And He's going to judge everyone. And He's going to punish phonies even if they're eulogized at their funerals. So fear Him and honor the One who is always before us. And when He's patient with us, count that as mercy and, and let that motivate you. When, he, when we don't get the punishment we're des- we deserve, let that be a motivation to do what He sent it to do. He is patient with sinners so that we would come to repentance. That's, it's, it's, that's the opposite of what everyone else in the world is going to do. The patience of God saying, where's He? He's not coming back. Hell's not coming. But he said, no, d- Don't be deceived. He's calling you to turn from sin. He's giving you time because he's so merciful. So repent. The wise counter crookedness by considering God. Third, verses 14 and 15. He says, take pleasure because of providence. Take pleasure because of providence. In this crooked world, you can take pleasure because God is ruling over everything, is caring about every circumstance. He's ruling, verse 14, even in the situations where there's a reversal of rewards, where the wicked actually seem to be blessed and get the rewards of what the righteous should get. And the righteous are cursed and they receive the rewards that the evil receive. And when people watch that and they keep seeing it, they start to believe if they're not going to consider God, I can be blessed through sin. And Solomon says, don't be fooled. That's vain. Don't you remember verse 13? What should we do whenever we see that kind of crookedness, whenever we see the sinner doing just fine? And whenever whenever we see the most righteous people we know experiencing the most difficult thing, difficulty, He says, verse 15, what you should do is celebrate the exceptions. You should celebrate the exceptions. Verse 15, and I commend joy when you see that. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him. This joy and eating and drinking will go with him in the midst of his toil through all the days of his life that God, consider God, that God has given him under the sun. God's going to give him something else. He says, look, you're going to be faced with reality. This is the way the world is. Well, how in the world can we have joy? If I live in that kind of world where people who have power hurt me with it, if I live in that kind of world where, where it's the hypocrites who get the honor, how am I going to be guarded from despair? He says, consider God. It's crooked. It works this way, unfailingly. This is the way it is. Why? Because of providence. This world and even those things are confined to the curse that God pronounced. It works this way because God is keeping His word to curse the world and bring death to this world and and not blessing to this world. And if that's true, if it's crooked because God is keeping His word to curse this world with crookedness, then what this means is this world is controlled by the Creator. It's still under His control. 
Martin Luther said, the world, unbelievers, the world, non-Christians, the world is ungrateful. Listen to me. They are always looking elsewhere and becoming bored with the things that are present, the things they have, no matter how good they are. The fact that God is keeping this world toilsome, verse 15. The toil is there. It's difficult. It it does not produce all that you should get. You don't get the rewards you should. The fact that God is keeping it that way, according to his word, proves that he will always keep his word. And verse 15 tells us God is the one who's giving the toil, but God is also with the toil, giving you food and giving you drink and giving you joy throughout all of your days. And so he's saying, lift your eyes above the sun. Don't be grumbling all the time. Don't you see? It is a sign of bottom dwellers. It is a sign of unbelievers, of those who just have this ground level view of things, who don't lift up their eyes. The the sign of them is they grumble. They act like All that we have, that's all that there is in this world is crookedness. That's all there is. All we have is cursed circumstances. All we have is persecution. All we have is abuse of authority. All we have is hypocrisy. That's all there is. Denying God. And so he says, Christian, we rejoice. We celebrate that God is being good to us that there are real rays of a light that has a source above the sun in every single act where God overrules the crookedness and we have tastes of it right now. When you eat butter, amen. When you drink a good latte, when you have in your life friends who care for you and don't just want to hurt you, when you laugh, When you get a father or a mother who wants to protect you. When you get a husband who wants to love you. When the righteous do get rewarded in this life, a ray of light is being shown. When evil actually gets judged in this life. A sign of unbelief is when we're never content with our circumstances. And we're always saying, he says, and I commend joy. But we're saying, God has not given me enough. The wise one would say, what in the world do you expect in this life? Have you not been listening to anything about what this world is like? It's crooked. It's ruined by sin. Why would you be so shocked to be sad? Why would you be so shocked that that people are harsh? Why would you be so shocked that you feel lonely? Celebrate the exception. Every exception that comes into your life. Because you know who got it for you. You know who brought it to you. And, And you know this is a prophecy. 
This is a promise. This little thing, this little taste, this little drink is promising something of the world to come. We know it wasn't always crooked. We know when it began. The moment that sin entered the world and death entered the world. That moment, remember what happened. You deserve to die physically right now. Let me kill this animal and cover you. Cover your shame with blood. And you remember that moment that sin came in. God was right there. And yes, He judged, but He also promised. This is just a picture of an ultimate sacrifice. There will be a son. And He won't use His power to hurt you. And He will receive the deeds of the wicked. Even though He's totally righteous. And He will purchase a life beyond this life. And He will give it to you. Every ray of light is just a reminder Jesus is coming. This is what He has for us. He's coming for me. And He will lift me out of this world. Quickly. Verses 16 and 17. And we're done. Notice the when and the then. When I applied my heart to know that on earth everyone's losing sleep. When I thought of that, then, verse 17, I saw the work of God. What is the work of God? Verse 17, it's that man cannot find out. No matter how much you toil in trying to find out, you will not find out. Even the wise man claims to know he cannot find it out. That God is controlling the situations such that you can't find a secret to satisfaction apart from Him. He will prevent it. You can't find that out. And when you realize that, you might be crushed. Trying to thrive in this world without considering God is like asking a flea to explain to you the meaning of life. Just ridiculous, right? Look at his perspective, that flea. Look at his world and all that the flea can see. Bottom dwellers aren't good counselors. So the people of Israel, whenever they gathered for the Feast of Tabernacles, they came into... Jerusalem, and this is the book they looked at. When they were facing circumstances like this, when when they had just spent a long, hard year of farming, when they were just getting tastes of the harvest, they were celebrating God has brought us through. They were remembering these truths. And we need the exact same thing. We must Gather because we tire of crookedness. This is why we're here. Because we're sick of lies. This is why we're here. Because we need reminders. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Don't you know that judgment has to begin with the household of God? Don't you know you are called to trust Him in the midst of suffering circumstances? And they are promises of what is to come. We gather for that. Today's the day of feasting. 
I want to encourage you to make it part of your habit on the Lord's Day to feast. Whatever that means, feast. Gather together and feast on the truth. Gather in faith because this is what we want forever is to worship the Lord together. The wise counter crookedness by considering God. Oh Lord, we pray that you would help us to believe your word. That you would give us faith in Jesus. That you would prevent us from falling away like the rest of the world in misreading the times. We pray that you'd make us wise by considering you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.